On this episode of AvTalk, United announces a huge and real order for aircraft. The Boeing 777X is set back again, and an airline in Alaska seeks to become the Iceland Air of the Northwest. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz and it's hot. Yes, throughout much of the country, it is very hot. In the Pacific Northwest, where it is generally not hot, it is the hottest it has ever been. And you were there, what, the the week before? So I'm blaming you. I will take the rainy but cool weather we had and run with it. It was great compared to the apocalyptic hell they're going through right now, which we now have. So wonderful. It, It skipped us, thankfully. That's that's rare. It's just been really, really wet here. We took all the rain because they have all the heat. This this whole thing is not fun. No, it is currently 95 Fahrenheit temperature units. I don't know what that is in Celsius, but I'm guessing it's mid-30s up to 40? Fahrenheit temperature units. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll say that. Where is it 95 Fahrenheit temperature units? Oh, it is exactly. 95 Fahrenheit is 35 Celsius. I was right on. Look at that. Look at you. I've never been more proud of you. I'm I'm so glad. <laughs> so th- this isn't a weather podcast, but the heat plays into your excursion yesterday into a hangar inside 95 degree heat, wherein you took part in a real event. There were people. With real people. Yeah. It was it was nice in that it was my first aviation event in, I guess, not a post-COVID world, but a controlled COVID world, I guess. So the first time in 15, 16 months I had gone somewhere to do a thing related to airlines or airplanes, and that was with United Airlines at their Newark maintenance base, which thankfully they somehow managed to pump a whole bunch of air conditioning into, so it wasn't all that bad inside. Uh, The bus ride to the airport is another story. But United had some big news, big, big news, and a thing they're calling United Next, which is I'm kind of aligning it with kind of a, a reboot of the airline. They announced an order for 270 new Boeing and Airbus aircraft, their largest single order ever and the largest order by a U.S. airline in a decade or so. The order includes... 5737 MAX 8s, an additional 15737 MAX 10, and they squeaked in 70 A321 Neos. And that's a lot of planes. They're real, too. And they exist. All three of the aircraft that have been ordered, you can go and, if you are so inclined, tap one with a stick. So please do not tap. A 7.3 Max 10 with a stick because it is still in flight testing, and that could <laughs> very much upset Boeing. Yeah. Okay. So, but if one were so inclined and had the ability to do so, one could. The real aircraft from real manufacturers that will be delivered as money exchanges hands. So, why is United buying 270 new airplanes? 
It needs new airplanes. It's got old airplanes. It needs new airplanes. It wants lots of new airplanes. United says it expects to introduce more than 500 new narrowbody aircrafts, uh, 40 next year, 138 in 2023, and as many as 350 in 2024 and beyond. So United estimates in 2023, on average, they will be adding a new narrowbody aircraft every three days, which is mind-boggling. I can't recall another airline, except maybe Norwegian at its busiest expansion period, taking aircraft that quickly. Because the the 270 is a new order. It doesn't account for the existing order book, which is near 500 aircraft. Yeah. So there are all sorts of 73 MAX 8, 9s, and 10s, I believe, on the order book, as as well as A321 XLRs, which don't quite exist just yet, but they are on the books. And- One of the driving forces behind this particular order is the fact that United's got a lot of old planes, and now it's not going to have as many old planes. But also, it seems to me that they're expanding not only the number of aircraft in this fleet, but the number of larger aircraft in this fleet and reducing the number of smaller aircraft. Have I understood kind of where the shifts are taking place correctly here? You have understood that completely correctly. So what's going to happen is over the next five years or so, United is going to remove, I believe, 250-seat aircraft. And those are the true 50-seat aircraft, not the CRJ 550s, which are really 76-seaters carrying 50 passengers. I'm talking the CRJ 200s and the E145s. They'll still have about 100 left, but they're removing hundreds of those from their fleet. They're also going to be removing older A320s and probably some of the older 73NGs, and those have got to go. And in their place, they are taking much, much larger aircraft, mainline aircraft. So in the past, where you may have flown on a CRJ200 out of Newark to, I don't know, somewhere in North Carolina, there's a very good chance in the next few years that might be actually a mainline United 73 MAX 8 or something similar. So the MAX 10 is the largest and last of the MAX. Recently had its first flight just a couple of weeks ago to no fanfare. And then on the heels of that comes this huge order. Do you have any sense? Did you get any sense yesterday where United sees the MAX 10 fitting in? They didn't really get into fleet planning, or I'm sorry, route planning, or or where these aircraft are going to go. But United has a large network through the US, I believe seven major hubs. So it's fair game, any of those hubs, those aircraft will go anywhere they're needed. But those are still three years off in the distance, perhaps maybe two years. So it's a little premature to, to wonder where those are going to go now. But there is... One thing that I didn't mention yet, that the 757, at least the 200, is not long for this world in United's fleet. So there's a very good possibility that the MAX-10 or maybe the 321neo will be direct replacements for those 757-200s, which will be retired as these aircraft come online. Though if you're a 75 fan, you can rest assured that you're going to be okay for the a little bit longer and they don't have a replacement for the 75-300 lined up just yet. Excellent. I'm on one of those in a few months' time, so I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, those do a lot of uh, Chicago West Coast turns, don't they? They do. They do. 
Yeah, back back and forth. The pencil jet, back and forth. It takes as long to load as it does to fly. It's true. You you actually board in Chicago and just walk to the end of the plane and you're in LA. Innovative. I know. But that's not all you were there for. And it's probably the, the aircraft order is probably not even the reason you were there at all, is it? No. So as a part of this reboot that I'm saying United is doing, they are doubling down on the passenger experience and really looking to compete head-to-head with Delta for the premium passenger. If anyone's flown United over the last few years, you know it's a real hodgepodge of an experience on board. Some aircraft have seatback screens but are a very dated live TV system with no movies or on-demand content. Some aircraft have on-demand screens in the, the vast minority of the fleet. Some of them only have streaming. Most of them don't have power outlets. Some have nothing at all. It's really not a uniform experience. You never quite know what you're going to get with United. But it is announced that starting with the 73 MAX 8, which was in the hangar and we got to tour, 100% of United's mainline domestic fleet Narrowbody fleet will have seatback screens and LED lighting and power outlets and USB ports. It's like they are about five years behind Delta, but they get to start in 2021 with some newer, more high-tech equipment. So, yeah, it's one of the things that always happens in the airline industry where because everything has to be so thoroughly regulated and certified – Getting any piece of equipment onto an aircraft takes at minimum months, at usual years, and at worst, you know, nigh on a decade. So you get these kind of fits and starts. And and we talked about this before. I mean, I think episode three of our podcast, Low Those Many Years Ago, we were at AIX talking with GoGo about their new technology and now. They don't exist anymore, or they exist as part of others now. So, I mean, taking that long lead time, does this put United in a better position or or just the same position a few years removed? The same position a few years removed, because ironically, most of the hardware that United is putting on board these aircraft is actually the same that Delta installed a few years ago. But the technology has matured a little bit that they can have a slicker user interface and everything is a little more responsive and there's more accessibility. And one big, big, big item that kind of stole the show was finally you'll be able to use Bluetooth headphones on the seatback screens, which is something really not done on any other airline right now. I think Qatar on its 7879s, you're able to do that. But that's the only other aircraft operated by any airline in the world that does it from nose to tail. There are some other airlines that offer it in in first or business class, but United is really going to be the first to introduce Bluetooth pairing to CPAC screens across a wide part of its fleet. And that's something Delta does not have that they probably should go back and start adding. Because on a couple of its aircraft, the A330neo, the A220s in particular, they actually put their own hardware on. They developed their own screens, their own system. So hopefully they can activate it if it's already included or, or go back and add it. But that's a nice leg up from United. And that's something that people were very, very happy to see when they were touring the aircraft that they didn't expect because it's just not something that's done yet. So when can we expect to see all of these things 
retrofitted to existing. I assume everything's going to come turned on with this new aircraft order, but when can we expect to start seeing things on on the existing fleet? Don't hold your breath. It, it's going to take a little <laughs> while, but United has, unlike its Polaris plan, which is still ongoing over five years later, they've learned some lessons. And this is a pretty aggressive timeline in that I think uh, two-thirds of the plan should be done by 2023, and they should be 100% done by early 2025. They said, if not, by late 2024. So that sounds like a long time from now, but in airline fleet refurbishing, that is like light speed. I am surprised by that timeline. Yeah, it, it's hundreds of aircraft, but at the same time, Delta is doing the same thing with the Wi-Fi systems on its own plane. I, you just mentioned how we were at AIX talking to GoGo. Well, Delta has already installed GoGo 2KU across its entire fleet, and now is going back again to rip that off and put on something new. So that is pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, some of these things take, you know, like you said, like the Polaris thing that's still being rolled out, you know, takes forever. And then sometimes you're like, oh, well, that was two, that was two generations ago. We've already moved on. I'm glad I'm not in network planning and and dealing with, uh, or kind of rolling these things out. Because I I think, I think I would be very gray by now. Yeah, it takes years. I have been told that they have been working on this latest announcement for at least three years now. Uh, so that's uh, that's a long lead time because they would have had to pick the equipment years ago. And now the aircraft are just starting to be delivered now. And then they're going to be delivered for another four years. So it's the argument against CPAC screens is somewhat valid in that the equipment gets outdated very quickly. But I think that's less of a concern now that the technology has matured and that if you're using today a computer from 10 years ago, it's probably going to be unusable at this point. But if you're using a computer from maybe five years ago, it's likely going to be fine. Maybe a little slower, but it's not like 10 years ago where you had the resistive screens where you had to really poke it hard for it to do anything. Five years ago, screens were capacitive, just like on an iPhone or whatever. So technology is thankfully matured to the point where it really shouldn't matter. Five years from now, it should be just fine. Sounds good. Okay. I'll leave it there unless unless there's anything else you think the, the fine listeners of this podcast should know about yesterday's United event. Mm, nope. I got to see an airplane. That was great. Hey, that's important. Then to Chicago we go in a letter from the Federal Aviation Administration's Aviation Safety Unit to Boeing. The FAA says that there are some problems with the 777X. And that the issuance of any type certification for the 777-9 is going to realistically be mid to late 2023. Oof. Oof, but it gets oofer. Oh, do oofam. So as part of this letter that was sent by the FAA to Boeing – they mention a previously unreported, uncommanded pitch event that happened on the 8th of December, 2020. Oh, that sounds eerily familiar. And we don't have any additional details. There's no 
report available or anything like that. The letter that the FAA wrote says that Boeing plans an upcoming major software update for the aircraft that is intended to address, quote, many items, including, quote, a fix for the uncommanded pitch event that occurred on December 8th, 2020. Oh, so is it going to be like when I update the apps on my phone and the changelog just says bug fixes and performance enhancements? Do they want to maybe get a little more specific? (laughs) I think that'll be a little more specific between Boeing and the FAA, but that's all we're going to get for the moment. The FAA is basically saying that it doesn't have enough information and technical data to move forward in the certification process yet. That extends the certification process out. Because Boeing has already set the entry into service into 2023, possibly 2024, this doesn't really change the timeline, the Boeing's public timeline for certification. But I could see this changing if it happens again or if there's further delays. Yeah. And this is showing us that there have been some changes at the FAA for the better that what I interpret this as is that there was an issue of some sort. Boeing said, be cool, bro. Don't even worry about it. We're on it. And the FAA said, like, hell you are. Prove that you fixed the situation, that you understand it and what changes you're making, or we're not progressing this flight test program beyond where it is today. Is that the sense you're getting as well? I I think that's a very stripped down way of putting it, but I would not say that it's inaccurate. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, certainly there is, I think both Boeing and the FAA feel a stronger sense of we need to get this right. And I think the FAA is certainly smarting from the issues with the MAX and their certification there, the the independent reports that have come out, the internal reports that have come out. The FAA has said, okay, we, we really need to it's not even doing things by the book or anything like that. It's just we need to be as thorough as we possibly can, digging into everything that we can possibly dig into and going slow if we need to. I don't see this as a bad thing. I mean, the uncommanded pitch event, that's not so great. But I don't see the FAA's reaction to this as a bad thing. No, it's nothing negative here. And It's also helpful that nobody is in dire need of a 777X right now. Nobody wants it. Nobody really has a place in their fleet for it, so they can take their time. This isn't like the MAX where they really needed to get that thing out the door because airlines desperately needed new aircraft. I don't think you'll find Lufthansa any point soon demanding these aircraft be delivered. No, I, I think there's certainly something to be said for the fact that this program has been lengthened and lengthened and lengthened outside of any commercial pressures. But airlines not clamoring for the aircraft is certainly helping Boeing in this particular case. So hopefully the details come out about this particular event and hopefully the plan and the process concludes and this aircraft is certified and goes into service for many, many sakes. But who knows what happens next? I look forward to seeing folding wingtips at an airport near me one day in the future. There you go. Let's head north. And Jason, I know you're reticent to talk about things that aren't actually real yet, but let's 
suppose for a moment that there was an airline in Alaska that is used to flying small regional aircraft around Alaska and then all of a sudden decides that it's going to acquire a bunch of 757s and fly between Asia and the lower 48 states of the United States. What would you say to that? Cool. (laughs) Fair enough. So Raven Alaska, the regional airline based in Alaska, their CEO sent a video message to employees earlier this week with a plan that I guess their leadership team has been working on for a while to to take the North Terminal Anchorage, which is currently not being used, rebrand as Northern Pacific Airways because that's where Alaska happens to be located, and fly between Tokyo, Seoul, eventually Osaka, and then points on the U.S. West Coast, including Oakland, Vegas, Ontario, California, and the East Coast, like Orlando and Newark. So it's Iceland air of the Northwest, if I'm understanding this plan. Sure. Why not? I mean, I I happen (laughs) to know where a bunch of 757s are coming offline from an airline. I believe we just mentioned it earlier. Mm -hmm. So, So why not? I mean, I'm always hesitant to even give a second thought to airlines like this because we've heard it time and time again from airlines on the East Coast, like Eastern always has these wild dreams of operating from New York to like interior China via Anchorage and files for the rights and gets the rights and never does it because it's a stupid plan. But I mean, if this airline that, correct me if I'm wrong, they were bankrupt like a hot minute ago, if they want to come back and, and... scoop up some 757s and start flying to Japan. Sure, if it's cheap enough, people will do it. Yeah, let's leave it there. If it's cheap enough, people will do it. I think that's a good place to leave it. An event that we talked about pretty much when it happened in November of 2018, a Skylease Cargo 747 that was operating from Chicago to Halifax on a seafood pickup run to take the the seafood off to China, overran the runway at Halifax and suffered complete damage, shall we say, and and the aircraft was uh, a hull loss. The final report from the Canadian Transportation Safety Board was published yesterday, 29th of June, 2021. These reports always take a very long time, and this one is no exception. And this is also an incident where if you've ever listened to this podcast before, and, and we hope many of you have, but if you're just joining us for the first time, something that we always say about any incident is there's never just one thing. What were the things? There were many things. One, there was a confusing notum that made the crew think that the, the long runway was closed. And so- They had that in the back of their mind. They were tired, and that's something that that we can talk about a little bit more in depth in in a future episode as far as crew rest and and things like that. When they were nearing touchdown, they realized that there was a tailwind, but they didn't recalculate the performance data to figure out how much distance was required for 
landing. And then once they touched down, there was asymmetric reverse thrust, which caused the speed brakes to retract and the auto brake system to disengage. That increased the stopping distance. Then they started a lateral drift and the pilot monitoring was, his attention was taken away. And then uh, manual brake application began late. So by the time all of those things factored in together, they were going too fast to stop the aircraft on the runway and went 270 meters, 885 feet past the end of the usable runway. Mm, That poor lobster plane. No lobsters were harmed in the runway overrun of this aircraft. Yeah, so we'll put a link to the the full Transportation Safety Board's final report in the show notes. It's just one of those things that that certainly highlights that there's always, you know, the, the Swiss cheese model. There's always things that need to line up just right to contribute to an incident, to an accident. That was a, a whole lot of somethings. Indeed it was. Indeed it was. We talked about United's plan for new aircraft. Delta's model is a little bit different, but perhaps more interesting and and a little bit more elusive. And Jason, I would love for you to to fill me in more about that. Yeah, we don't know a ton yet. It's basically just rumors on the internet, which is always something fun to follow. But Delta is looking for some new used pre-owned certified aircraft, and they could potentially be coming from partner LATAM, who ditched a whole lot of very new aircraft in its bankruptcy proceedings not long ago, its entire fleet of A350-900s, actually. And there's a lot of scuttlebutt on the internet that Delta might be scooping those up cheap. And I believe possibly 737 max, though I'm not, I have less confidence in that rumor. But wouldn't that be interesting if Delta ended up after all those years about talking about picking up used 777s, which they never actually did, as far as we know, picking up used A350s that are only a couple years old. I mean, it, they're great aircraft. And that would make sense to me. Yep. I have heard from some people down in the Southern Hemisphere that the airline did not quite like the A350s, which would jive with them removing the entire fleet of A350s from their fleet. But Delta seems to like them. They, they have a whole bunch on order. They have a whole bunch operating. So why not? More the merrier. It would probably fill in the gap of the 777s they quite hastily retired in the middle of COVID. Yeah, there's a lot of hasty retirement gap filling going on these days at a lot of airlines. But yeah. it would be really, it would be really interesting to see what Delta ends up. Yeah, and th- that's something I didn't mention earlier. Actually, United is very proud of the fact at, at their event yesterday that they were the only major U.S. airline to not remove any of its wide body aircraft from its fleet. They didn't retire a single wide body aircraft. The only aircraft they did retire was a small fleet of geriatric 757s that used to do the (laughs) United PS flying. They were in the middle of adding Wi-Fi to those and they retired them outright, but not a single wide body aircraft was retired. Dozens of them were long-term parked by external factors, engines exploding, but that was outside of their control. Yeah. There are plenty of places for airlines to pull aircraft from and plenty of airlines looking 
to take them on. So I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how fleet makeups change over the next six to 12 months, especially as, as lease rates kind of are favorable, I guess one could say. Let's take a quick break. And before we do that, we, we got an email, podcast at fr24.com, by the way, if, if you would like to send us one. But we got an email asking why we take commercial breaks, though we don't have commercials. The answer is that we do this show straight through for a variety of reasons. One, we find it's the format that works best for us, but but two, we like it. So we take the break, not only because I like hearing the music and we paid for it, so I figured we should use it. But also, it allows us to catch our breath real quick and in most cases, refill our drinks. So let us catch our breath and refill our drinks and we shall return momentarily. Stay with us. Welcome back. Let's do some very quick things that you should be aware of because aviation is fun. And then we will call it a week because it is a uh, a holiday week and Jason's off on vacation to the other chair in his apartment. I got big plans. There you go. I, I, on the other hand, am taking my kids camping. It was a spur of the moment decision and it started out as taking one and now it's taking three. So I will report back. There might be a new co-host next week for the podcast. I'll call Jeremy. If I survive. Yeah, we'll we'll see if I survive. But let's see. What do we got? Qantas went way far with one of its 787-9s. It took the Australian national cricket team from Brisbane to Viewfort in the Caribbean. And that was a nearly 17-hour flight. The distance over 16,000 kilometers, uh, about 10,000 miles on the nose. It's not the longest 787 flight they've ever done. That, of course, still belongs to the London to Sydney Project Sunrise test flight that they did. And that one was about 1,000 kilometers longer. So long, but not the longest. It was just a, kind of an odd thing to see pop up and then uh, and, and then get into. Yeah, not many Australian aircraft leaving Australian airspace these days. No, not, not many, not many at all. We also have some new liveries. I know Jason's newest favorite one, the Kalita Air 747, wearing the airline's new livery is November 403 Kilo Zulu. And that is a stark departure from their existing livery. I would never have thought that they would go that route. Sarcasm is seeping into my voice. I can feel it. So I can't keep up the charade any longer. Jason, tell us what the new livery looks like. Well, the tail is the same. Uh, the, <laughs> the logo is the same, but they seemingly ran out of paint and didn't do the cheat line. That That's that's it. There it is. It's more minimalist. I don't like it. I like the previous uh, livery. I love that cheat line. I guess it saves on paint or something. I don't know. You're painting the aircraft white anyway. Yeah, nothing. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like it. It looks incomplete. Air Canada has a 787-9 in a new Olympics-themed special livery. That is C-F-V-L-Q, and that is wearing a fly-the-flag livery. On the right side of the aircraft is the English. On the left side of the aircraft is the French. 
I believe I got those right. Yes. So there it is. Enjoy that one. And then Lufthansa's A350-900 DAIXP is wearing a special Lufthansa and you livery. I wonder if the Air Canada one, having English on one side and French on the other side, I wonder if that's that goes back to the dual language thing in Canada where they have to, Air Canada has to send like every tweet, every communication, yes. everything they do in both languages. Did they have to paint one side French and one side English like legally? All of their special liveries that aren't the retrojet, I, I think they do. And if I, I think I misspoke, right side of the aircraft, French, left side, English. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah. But I, I think they, I don't know if it's mandated in this particular instance, but I have a feeling that there would be a lot of very angry people if they didn't do it. Somebody would sue them. I, I guarantee it. Last things last is just a note for every year about this time. The television relay coverage for the Tour de France is available to follow if you like watching planes fly in circles a lot. You can find out where the stage of the tour is every day and then zoom in on the Flight Radar 24 map and see the television relay coverage. Uh, we'll put a link to the blog post in the show notes that explains what all of those aircraft are doing. It's a fun thing that I like to, if I follow along with the tour, I like to follow along with the television relay coverage. And so if you are so inclined, you can do that as well. Otherwise, this has been episode 118 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.